So yesterday we opened the discussion with how a parent can love all the children equally, can show love and express love to all the children equally. And the bottom line of yesterday, just so we can be in context, that um, the bottom line of yesterday was learning from the way Hashem counted the Jewish people, that it was Hashem's expression of love, that in what, how was counting expressing love. So we explained that uh, because when you count, making someone a number can be a very positive thing. What you're doing is you're ripping away the external layers, the looks, the differences, and you're zoning in to the part of each person which makes everyone equal. And sometimes the external factors can be a distraction and can keep a person away from loving the person just because they're a person, just because they're your child. And when you peel away the outer layers, you see the inside, you see them as your child. Hashem looks at us as a neshama, as a soul, and in that light, every Jew is equal. And this is, what, this is uh, what it means that Hashem counted us. No Jew was worth more than one number. No Jew was worth less than a number. Because Hashem looked at that part where every Jew is valuable, equal, and the same. So that was what we discussed yesterday. Today we're going to discuss the exact opposite, the other extreme. And we're going to put the two together. Meaning that people, I'm surprised no one brought, up, brought it up yesterday. I was expecting someone to challenge me with this. But... Um, in a way, people, <laughs> people, people frown upon um, such a perspective. Why? Because when you look at someone, you look at everyone equal, you're not giving the person his personality. You're not allowing the person to be who he is. You're trying to subdue, suppress the person's um, individuality, their personality, their character, their quality, and say, oh, I'm going to just look at what makes you equal to the other person. And it happens, I know, I was taught early on in education that when you praise a child, if you just tell the child you're great, or you're, you're amazing, you're smart, they don't, uh, it doesn't go long. They don't uh, appreciate it as much. It doesn't sink in. When you tell the child, oh, what you just said was very clever, that comment, that you sp- meaning a specific praise, when you specify what exactly you're refer- referring to and don't just give a general praise, it goes a much longer way and it really resonates with the person. People see you're paying attention to them. So it's uh, it, it, um, looking at everyone in a general way as equal sometimes is not the way to go. Real love, real appreciation you express to your spouse, to your child by zone specifying a specific quality, specifying a specific talent, specifying that what singles them out from someone else, what makes them unique. So the question is, how can the two be reconciled? How can the two be put together? It's like coaching. If you're, if you're working on the court, you give the and you have to judge them equally in the sense that there's no preconceived notion and everybody has the ability to prove what they're trying to accomplish. Okay. People, not based on what you see. And since we don't know what people are truly made of, that's the point of, of judging them equally, not limiting and power. Okay. No, that's a very, that's a very good uh, take on it. That's no, a very good take on it. So let, let's discuss today the topic a little and we'll, we'll uh, give a bit of a perspective. But uh, that's a good start. Um, so we can see this again, merging these two together, like the equality and the diversity. Everyone's the same, but at the same time, everyone's unique and different. And of course, like someone mentioned yesterday, this is, it's no coincidence that the parsha of counting comes before Shavuos. Shavuos, we'll discuss this a little more tomorrow. 
about the Jewish people being united. That's why Hashem was ready to give them the Torah. That um, we discussed this counting, which again makes everyone equal. But today we're going to discuss a much deeper level of equality, a much deeper level of unity. Unity which doesn't um, ignore the individuality of each person. How can there be unity while still paying attention to the unique quality and the unique character and personality of each and every individual? It's a very, very difficult to, to um, show. We discussed yesterday that how do you show love to another Jew? The Altar explains in Tanya when you focus on the soul, when you focus on the spiritual, when that's your priority on yourself then that reflects the way you look at someone else. But how can you still experience that pure vision, the, um, including everyone, even while not ignoring, and even while considering their individuality, their unique quality, and their unique character, when they may not have, they may not be so talented. So we can, we can um, see a beautiful insight on this from the same thing we discussed yesterday. We mentioned yesterday, Rashi brings that how do we see that counting was Hashem showing love to the Jewish people? Because Hashem counted the Jewish people multiple times within a short period of time. Within the span of almost a year, of a bit over a year, Hashem counted the Jewish people three times. So let's go into the Rasha that we discussed yesterday. Ra, the, source one. Rashi says that the Jewish people were counted. Hashem counted them when they left Mitzrayim. That was the first time. Again, Hashem counted them. After Hashem gave them the Torah, they did the golden calf, then Hashem went and counted them again. Okay, the third time Hashem counted them, after they built the Mishkan. As an atonement for the eagle, they had to go, the golden calf, they had to go and build the Mishkan. And when they built the Mishkan and Hashem rested amongst the Jewish people, that's the third time Hashem counted them, and that's this week's parsha. The Mishkan was erected on Rish Chodesh Nisan, and Hashem counted them on Rish Chodesh Ir. Didn't they get destroyed when they were referring to the eagle? So many Jews died. And that's what it says. Hashem counted. Hashem wanted to see how many were left over, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, the survivors. The survivors. So those were the three times Hashem counted. Now it's no coincidence that Hashem counted the Jewish people three, these three times. Not just three times, but these specific um, episodes and periods in the conception of the Jewish nation. And these three times really are going to give us the answer to our question, understanding what was unique about these three times. And let's understand this from the following um, idea. There is that essence of a Jew. When you peel away all the external layers and you see deep inside a Jew the fact that you're a Jew, and no matter what you do to yourself, you'll never take that away from yourself. It's complete, wholesome, always connected to God, and that part of you stays intact and pure no matter what happens to you. Now, the question is, we discussed yesterday identifying yourself by that part of you. It's very difficult. It's very difficult for a person to really look at themselves as a Jewish soul. We know, we, we see ourselves as, in the, as, a, as a human being, a human being with my own um, either issues or my own desires, my own pleasures in life, which don't necessarily um, blend t together so well with my soul. So what is it, how can I look at myself as a soul? And the truth is that it happens in stages. There's the initial stage, which every Jew experiences every now and then. And that is an awakening, we call it. An inspiration, inspirational moment, 
where a person gets very inspired, very excited about Judaism, very excited about what they're doing as a Jew, very excited about the fact that they're Jewish. It can happen here and there. Sometimes it's triggered by a great event that happens. Sometimes it's triggered by, by a tragedy. Sometimes it's, it's uh, triggered by, by a certain time in the year where the famous thing we discuss is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Jews that never go to Shul, all of a sudden want to go to Shul and they have some, some sort of awakening and inspiration while they're sitting in Shul on that day, the holiest day of the year. So everyone has their time, their moment, where they get somewhat of an inspiration. The question is, what happens after that inspiration? Meaning, are you able to ground it? Are you able to then take that inspiration where your Jewish soul, so to speak, is speaking out to you, is calling out to you, let's wake up, let's do something, do something with me, do something for me. But then, a few days later, you're back to normal life. So, and this we see, we see there's three different stages, three different ways how the essence of a Jew can express itself, can manifest itself in the external parts of a Jew. And let's start with the first one, from source two, a famous quote from the Gemara, um, where uh, it says that certain, there's sometimes you can find a Jew that has a very unique form of belief in God. They believe in God, they trust in God, but simultaneously they're going against God. The example given is the, from the Gemara, Ganva apum machtarta rachmana kari. How you can have a, a thief going to do his job. That's his business, that's his profession. He steals. He, he has no other way of making a living. So he goes and he steals. And on his way to break into the house, to, to f do his job, to, to, to steal, he prays to God to help him. That's what it says. He prays to God to help him. Is his belief not real? Is his trust not real? Of course it's real. He believes in God. In essence, he's a Jew, that he believes in God. That's why he's asking God to help him with his job, with his theft. But obviously, his belief is not in a grounded way. His belief and trust in God is not in a way where it really expresses itself in the external parts of his life. There's a separation. There's a huge gap, a huge divide. He has an awareness that there's God, and that's why he's asking God to help him. But he's asking God to help him to do something that God doesn't want him to do. Right? Uh, paradox. Um, so that's, that's the first initial stage of faith and trust. Yes, it this is a very extreme example, but we all experience it in our lives, where we trust in God, we have belief in God, that's what we're brought up with. But how does it actually express itself? Does it actually affect the next move I'm going to make? The next move I'm going to make in my life is going to be because I totally trust and believe in God. Sometimes we know we trust and believe in God, but then we say, okay, but practically speaking, what am I going to do? <laughs> then, then it's like, oh, the trust and belief in God kind of falls away, and you remember it after you make your next move. Do we make our next moves because and as a result of our belief in God? So the belief and trust in God and the, the godly part of us sometimes has a big separation and stays away from the practical side of life. That's the initial stage. When did the Jewish people experience this stage? When they left Egypt. When the people left Egypt, when the Jewish people left Egypt, then they were experiencing a time where they were in a very low spiritual state. It's discussed all over the Jewish people when they left Egypt. They weren't holy to the extent that the angels told God, why are you taking them out over the Egyptians? They're both people that are immoral, that are not holy, and there are many Jews that didn't make it out of Egypt because of their lack of, lack of belief in God. But God went and said, I want, I, I, He took them out. And it was, a, it was totally one-sided. The Jews did a little, they needed some merit, 
So they did the carbon Pesach, Brismila, or the two dams, which were their merit, but they, it was a merit that they needed because they weren't really worthy of it. They were in a very low spiritual state. So because of that, this is exactly the first initial stage of Hashem awakening inside the Jew, that Jewish soul, that Jewish essence, which doesn't necessarily impact their practical life. That's what happened when they left Egypt. That's the first time Hashem counted the Jewish people. Right after they left, left Egypt, Hashem said, I now want to count the Jewish people. Again, what does counting mean? I want to bring out in them their essence, what makes them equal. But when Hashem brought out and awakened their essence when they left Egypt, it wasn't in a way that it had a practical impact and changed their day-to-day life. It didn't. It didn't result in their, in their day-to-day life. That was the first stage. The second stage. What was the second time God counted the Jewish people? The second time God counted the Jewish people was after the Chet When Hashem wanted them to begin atoning for the sin. So now, this is when Hashem wanted them to start building the Mishkan. It was before they built it. When they were getting ready to build the Mishkan. When they're getting ready to build the Mishkan, what's the idea of building the Mishkan? It's God telling the person, I want you to begin making a home for me inside of you. I want you to begin making a home for me within the physical world. I want you to begin making me feel at home in the day-to-day life of yours. Not just using me as a concept that exists in the back of your mind, but actually allowing me to enter the practical parts of your life. This is what happened when they began building the Mishkan. So this is the second stage. Where the belief and trust in God and the Jewish essence that we have starts, starts growing on us. And it begins having some sort of an impact on the way we think, the way we make decisions, the way we move. But it's still two separate things. God wasn't resting yet. He wasn't actually living inside the Jew. He wasn't actually living within the physical parts of the Jewish person's life. There was still that divide, the separation. It was still my faith and trust which is impacting my day-to-day life. There was still a divide. It wasn't automatic. You'll see when you see the third one, you'll understand better. So this stage was the second time Hashem counted the Jewish people. The second time Hashem counted the Jewish people was when they began building the Mishkan, after the golden calf. Where Hashem said, now I want a new thing to happen. Beforehand, I already brought out the essence of a Jew. I brought out your connection to God, your pure and strong connection to God, but it didn't impact your actual life. It didn't affect your decisions. Now I want it to begin affecting your decisions, God said. God counted the Jewish people and began expressing their essence in a way that it's just begin impacting your individual um, day-to-day life. The third time God counted the Jewish people was after the Mishkan was already erected. After the Mishkan was built. Now, not only that, a month later, in the month of Iyar, Rosh Nisan was erected, Rosh Chodesh Iyar, Hashem, um, Hashem counted them. The third time Hashem counted them, Hashem said, now you guys are ready for a whole new experience of the godliness within you. Now you're ready for a whole new experience of your soul, of your trust and belief in God. What did God want now? He wanted now the same way the example we give is our, the limbs of the body to the brain. Right? When your brain wants something, it doesn't have to go through a whole dialogue with your hand to go and do it. Right? Imagine, that, imagine your brain had to go through a dialogue with your heart every time it wanted your heart to beat and to pump blood throughout the body. Who knows if it would still be here every second? The brain, it's an instant thing. God uh, built our body in a way that the brain wants something and it happens instantly anywhere in the body. It doesn't have to travel, it doesn't have to take time. Because it's one, it's one body, it's in sync. There's a no divide, there's no gap, there's no disconnect. If there's a disconnect, unfortunately a person, what can ha- it, it, dangerous things can happen. 
This is the ultimate and the most extreme way we can experience the godly soul in us. Imagine the godly soul serving as the brain, and the godly soul giving commands. And everything the godly soul wants happens instantly. The godly soul wants something, we think like that. Imagine we think our physical brain makes decisions automatically based on what, the God, what, our, what our godly um, uh, identity, what our godly essence wants. That's the ultimate stage and the ultimate goal of, of a Jew. This is what a tzaddik is. That's what the life of a tzaddik is. The life of a tzaddik is just like our brain tells our body to do something and it happens instantly. A tzaddik, that's, a, that's how, how the neshama um, interacts with the body. The soul tell, wants the body to do something, it happens in this instantly. And nothing, we said, oven. a tzaddik can't physically do a sin. It's not possible. The body won't let it happen. Because it's so in sync, it's so aligned. This is the third stage. That's the third time God counted the Jewish people. Okay. Now let's bring it full circle. So this is a beautiful, a beautiful insight on how we can merge the two together. But yes, on one hand we preach and we promote equality. Every Jew is the same. Every Jew is equal. We're all brothers. We all have a Jewish soul. And that makes us the same. But at the same time, first of all, not only, you can't ignore the individuality of each person. Yes, we're equal. Yes, we all have the same Jewish soul. But that doesn't mean that each and every one of us have a different mission, have a different purpose. We're here to accomplish something else. I'm not here to do what you're doing. God didn't, if God wanted us to do the same thing, He wouldn't have put both of us in the world. He put both of us because we're here for different reasons. Using the same tools of Torah and mitzvahs, but to accomplish our own unique life with our own unique talents, God-given talents and things that we work on, and the abilities, capability that God gave each and every one of us. And the two go very well together because the, the equality, the Jewish soul, the essence that we have, which is pure, complete, intact, no matter what we do, needs to be brought out and have an impact and be aligned with every part of our practical day-to-day life. And this exists in every type of relationship, really. This is, this is discussing the relationship with ourself, with our own God, with God with their own godliness. But really with a spouse, with a child, it's the same thing. Where initially, your love begins from a place of, you're my child. And therefore, no matter what's going to happen, I love you. But, the love has to then manifest itself and express itself in the, in the individuality of the person. And has to blend so well together till it reaches that third stage where you can't separate the two. Where the love that you have, which will never be um, broken or taken away, no matter what the person does, is able to be recognized even within the individuality of the person. And they're not two separate types of loves. It doesn't become an ava like we discussed yesterday. It doesn't become a conditional love. It doesn't become a love which is dependent on something. No, it's unconditional. But it's able to still take into consideration the unique quality of the other person and what makes them special. And how can you love a person for their quality. We usually tell you not to. Don't love them because they're smart. Love them. And then realize that they're smart. But how can you love someone because they're smart and it's for it to still be an unconditional love? When it's based on, when the foundation of love is an unconditional love. When you love the person because, just because of who they are. And then you let your love express itself into their unique quality and talent and bring that praise out in them and say, oh, you're so special because of this and this that you did. But my love begins because I unconditionally love you. That's where it begins from. And this is what God is showing us. And God's relationship with us, God's telling us, I love you because you're a Jew. But I want it to express itself in your individual life. 
in the individual parts of your life in a way that the two can't be separated. And there's many different ways we discuss love. And just an insight on, before, uh, to end off with, this is something I once heard, that there were three people that were famous for their Jewish love. And each one loved the Jewish people in a different way. And each way of loving a Jew is very important and has its own work and none, none of them are easy. The three famous people were um, Reb Zusha of Anapoli, Reb Yitzchak of Berdichev, and the Baal Shem Tev. But the, the love they had for Jews are very different. The Reb Zusha of Anapoli, we know him, the stories about him, that he didn't even see the negative in another Jew. And that's why he was able to love every Jew. He didn't even see and what's in source four, love covers over all flaws. When you love someone so much, their flaws don't, don't matter to you. You don't even notice them. So he had such a strong love for all Jews that he didn't even see the negative in them. So if you notice someone's flaws, you don't truly love them. That's one second. Wait a second. That was, that was his expression of love, and it's a very high level to reach. He was known to be of a different type where he was known to be the ambassador of the Jewish people to God, right? The Jewish lawyer, the lawyer of all Jewish people. Whenever something happened, he would always complain to God on the Jewish people's behalf. And he would tell God to look how beautiful the Jewish person is. So many stories. And about him is the long, you say in Pirkeiovis, that Vavidon, source 5, Vavidon is called Adam Lekavschus, judging everyone favorably. He personified that character. Where he was able to look at every Jew and say that, um, and give them the benefit of the doubt. And he saw a Jew do something maybe that would have been wrong, and he gave them, he, he was able to justify it, to give an explanation why there's something positive, you could look at this Jew in a positive light. Um, and then came the Baal Shem Tev. What's said about the Baal Shem Tev, that he loved a Russia the same way he loved the Tzadik. That means he looked at the Russia as a Russia, and he still loved it. He didn't ignore the fact that they were a Russia, meaning the Baal Shem Tev looked at every Jew, saw their flaws, saw the things they've done wrong. I nevertheless loved them without an explanation. Didn't have to give an explanation to justify, to ignore the flaw. He loved the Jew, regardless, even though he saw the flaws and saw the issues and saw that they were called a Russia. And this is, this is what we're discussing here, these different levels of love. A love where you completely ignore the external parts or a, that, that's where you're just looking at the Jewish soul. A love where the Jewish soul can be connected somewhat with the external parts of the person, the quality um, and individuality of each person, and then a love where you can, the two don't, are, can't be separated, right? Where you are able to love the person unconditionally, even while considering and dwelling on their uniqueness, their individuality, their qualities, and that's the ultimate type of love which we have to experience, and that's ultimate unity. Because if, you're, if you're, the unity is just because all the external parts fade away, then as soon as the external parts kick in, who says there's still the unity? And even if, okay, I can handle your individuality, it's still not complete unity. Unity is when I love your individuality. I love you unconditionally, and I love every part of you. Right? That's, that's the ultimate form of love. And that's the love God was expressing in these three different times he counted the Jewish people. And this is why this part is a preparation for Shavuos. Because this is true unity and true way to, uh, to love another person is merging both, par- both things together. So it's, a, it's a strong exercises. A lot packed into one thing, but it's uh, important.